Well, um, here we are, and we're probably going to be here for a long period of time, it looks like. And so we're going to get used to virtual life and what it means to connect with one another in ways that are not usual for us. I like hugging folks. I like looking them in the eye. I like being with them. And this is not the way I thought ministry could be best done, but it is the way ministry can be best done now. And it's my hope that you would receive all that we have that is good for you. And then in addition, pray that the Holy Spirit meets you as if we were face to face. That he would descend in your home. Your home right now is really the sanctuary of Almighty God. It's the place where he wants to be. And so it's important for you not to just consider this hour of your 168 week 168 hour week as the moment when he comes but you really need to probably prepare the way for this hour all week long making your home a sanctuary before we get into the word today I I want to pray along with the rest of the body of Christ a prayer that uh, we have um, joined in on meaning there's a movement called Unite 714 it comes from 2nd Chronicles 714 where Solomon is is praying a prayer and asking God to do something on behalf of God's people when they blow it, when things aren't as right as they should be, when difficulty comes to the land, all of that and more. And on the basis of that prayer, churches all across the world are uniting and asking God to come and help our world. So I'd like for you to join with me in prayer as we pray this prayer. Lord, we come to you in prayer today believing the promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that if we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, you will hear our prayer and heal our lands. Our community, nation, and world are in desperate need of your help, comfort, and healing power. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for, uh, for turning our hearts away from you. Hear our cry today as we join with the rest of the body of Christ around the world to stand together against this COVID-19 crisis. Lord, strengthen our minds and emotions with the truth that you are greater than this disease. Your righteousness protects our hearts from despair and your word enables us to walk through crisis in peace. Although although this, this is a physical disease, as believers, we know the enemy wants to take advantage of this moment and together we stand in faith against the powers of darkness in this evil day. We put on the whole armor of God and stand firm on the promises of your word. With your armor, we stand protected from the fiery darts of panic and fear. We take up the shield of faith on behalf of our families, our churches, our cities, our nation, and the nations of the world. The hope of salvation is our battle helmet. We declare the promise in your word that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Therefore, we pray in faith that this disease will be eradicated, panic will stop, and your power will fill the earth. We humbly ask all these things in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. Matthew chapter 21, verses 8 through 10. It's 
Palm Sunday, and we're going to look at a passage that details the coming of Christ into Jerusalem for his last week of life on earth. It says, most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, verse 10. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Lord, help as we study your word. Three things in this passage about which I'd like to present. One, preparation was made. Two, praise was given. And three, position or person was questioned. Last week, we talked a little bit about... the kingdom and people's expectations upon Christ as he was now ushering in this new realm into the world. People thought he was supposed to be a natural king, a political orientation and persuasion that would unseat the Roman Empire and begin to really deal with the political situation with Israel, with Herod, and with the religious political situation with the people who happened to run the everyday operations of the the nation of Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers. They thought he was going to deal with all those powerful people, influential people, and then set up his own kingdom, Christ's own kingdom on the earth that would benefit all of Israel. And this kingdom would have no end, and there would be no end to the increase of his government. This government, starting in Jerusalem, would then cover the entire earth. The people thought this was the moment. This was their coronation time. This was the moment where Jesus would come in and begin to set everything as they thought it needed to be set according to a king of his stature, the Messiah. And so preparations were made as he was coming from Jericho into Jerusalem, which which is just a few short miles. The crowds would build. Now, everybody was coming to Jerusalem anyway for the Passover. Passover was a feast. It was a moment to celebrate what God had done when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt and that without lifting a sword by God's mighty right arm. And the night before they were exiting Egypt as slaves, and this is well over a millennia ago from this point in scripture, as they were exiting the night before, they would would kill a lamb and place the, the blood of that lamb on the lintels of their doorposts. And there was a curse that was placed upon the land uh, that the firstborn would, be, uh, would die in the land of Egypt. But if the blood were put over the doorpost, that curse would pass by. And indeed, all the Israelites had the curse pass by, a plague pass by, as a result of the blood on their households. And so the Passover was always celebrated with respect to realizing that the blood of a lamb can, can allow death to pass over. Now Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as the one who was proclaimed by John the Baptist, his prophet, three and a half years earlier, as the one who would be the the guy that would set up this kingdom. Now John the Baptist wasn't quite sure what it was to look like either, but he knew that, that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And one of the things that he proclaimed in knowing that he was the Messiah, and I'm not quite sure if he had it all together, pieced all the, the, the pieces of the puzzle, but he did say this when Jesus showed up, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he knew that Jesus was something other than just somebody who's going to sit on a natural throne. He realized that Jesus was the Messiah and all the prophecies of the Old Testament were going to be true about him. But this other part that nobody else was able to piece together was the redemptive benefit that this man, his body, would give for us and that when his blood was shed, death would pass over us. And Jesus was coming in for the Passover. Now, he'd been there many, many times every year. He would have to come from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover with his parents or when his parents no longer were his stewards, he would come on his own. And as he was coming in, he met a whole bunch of other people because all the Israelites were, were supposed to come in. It was a feast to which all the Israelites were to come. And as they saw Jesus coming in, they recognized, oh, this, this must be the moment. He's been, he's been ministering now for, for well over three years. We think this, this is the opportunity for him to now do what he's supposed to do for us. And we want to be the ones who paved the way for his very smooth entrance into his crowning city. So the crowds began to swell. And as they swelled, they took palm branches and laid them down before Christ. And... Uh, they took their coats off and laid them down as Jesus was strolling into the city on a donkey. And palm branches represent the vegetation, the flora of life that looks most like a human being with its hands upraised in that area of the world. So most trees do branches like this. A little above 90 degrees, but not much. Most trees, deciduous trees, don't do this with branches. They do it like this. Palm trees are a little bit different. They actually grow from the trunk like this and then span out. And so when a man took a palm branch and laid it down, he was saying, I am laying my praise down at your feet. And I'm making sure that there is a separation between that which is natural, the earth, and where you walk, because you are not worthy. Excuse me. The earth is not worthy to have you upon it. And so I'm elevating you in my own mind with my praise. They would also take their coats, and they would lay them down. Exodus 22, verse 26, talks about that if a man who is, is poor owes you money, you lend him money, he owes it to you, and all he's got is his cloak, if you take that as collateral, you must return it to him every evening because that's all he's got to keep himself warm. The cloak represented the basic necessities of life. The elements that are necessary to keep a man warm in a cold world. And when a man took off his cloak and laid it down at, at the feet of somebody, it meant I'm taking all of my basic elements and believing that they are worthy of your support. Even though I don't have much, I give it to you. And they laid it down. So between their praise and all of their resources, these were the symbolic elements that allowed for somebody to come into Jerusalem who had not come into Jerusalem like this before. There had been coronations before. Of course, not in this generation. 
nor in prior generations, not in this city like this. It had been centuries since anything had happened like this. But this is the first time that we see palm branches and coats being laid down like this. What preparations are you making for for Jesus to come into your life? What preparations are you making to make sure that that the pathway is clear for him to come into other people's lives? Or to come into other people's circumstances or yours? What does your praise look like? Is your praise that which generally responds to him when things are going well? Or is your praise that which gives him what he deserves when he deserves it? And that is when things are going well as well. He is God Almighty all the time. And he needs to be recognized as such even in difficulty, especially in difficulty. Mankind can praise him when things are going good. Even mankind that doesn't love him. As I've said before, when Publishers Clearinghouse shows up at somebody's home, even the atheist shouts a hallelujah. Things going well, everybody can lift their hands at some level. But when things aren't going well, what do we do? The one who gets... The most, the, the, most, <laughs> the most attention in terms of, of, of infamy of circumstances in the Bible is Job. Nobody wants to go through what Job went through. Nobody. <laughs> the circumstances were such that it plays out like a play where God is, has a conversation with the enemy. Have you seen my servant Job? He said, yeah, he only worships you because you, you, you bless him so much. And, 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 and whenever I read the first part of the book of Job, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm always wanting to say, Lord, you do not have to mention my name to the devil. I'm just letting you know. It's okay. You don't ever have to have a conversation with him about me. Just want you to know I'm good. The, the, the circumstances wound up to where Job went through, through some difficulty. And Job said this, in the midst of his difficulty, shall we not? Except difficulty from the Lord as well as good. Though he slay me, I will praise him. Wow. Now we know in the entire book of Job that although God is sovereign and nobody ever needs to apologize for that or necessarily try to defend it, though it needs to be defended to those who are, who are less high-minded and begin to ascribe blame to God and neglect minimally. Whenever things go bad, when actually it's all man's fault, everything is man's fault. Everything is man's fault. It doesn't mean that for a particular circumstance we can put a certain man to blame. They may be down the line in terms of the the impact to the wake of somebody else's actions. I get that. But it's all M, big M, man's fault. Man blew it, Adam blew it, and since then we've been trying to navigate difficulty all of the generations, not just our lives, all the generations. The the stuff, the bad things that happen in the world are not because God is mad. He has not tried to bring judgment on the planet. He poured all that out on Jesus. Every bit of it. All the sin 
All the consequences of our misdeeds were poured out on him. And the only reason we still breathe is because of his mercy. He is good to us. The difficulty through which we have to navigate is our fault. And I know we, I, I'm sitting here talking about Adam and Eve and they blew in the garden and we've been the recipients of their consequences ever since. Ever since. Yes, but we have accentuated it. We haven't made it much better. Our own sin swirls around the circumstances of this planet. And that we have to actually, hear me, that we actually have to convince ourselves that it's important for us to think about others when our resources are dwindling says a lot about what's down on the inside of us. If it were so natural, would we not have a knee-jerk, a reflexive response to say, oh, I can't believe I'm not supplying. But we always have to convince ourselves, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I have only so much in the cupboard, my pantry only, but, but I need to, I need, okay, gather up enough courage to give in the midst of difficulty. Come on, now you can do it. Why? Because everything still is DNA driven from Adam and Eve of selfishness and self-preservation. Difficulty is the order of this world and God has been trying to stem the tide of it ever since. So what are you going to do in tough times? Take your palm branches Take your palm branches, put them down there and say you're worthy. Take the things that you need most, the necessary, and put them down there and say, I'm going to let you be prepared to take the throne of this circumstance, my heart, my community, with my stuff, my praise, and my resources. I'm going to prepare the way with that. Secondly, they said some things specifically that would be in concert with their actions. Hosanna in, uh, Hosanna in, in the name, Hosanna to, uh, to the Lord. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Hosanna in the highest. Now Hosanna means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a proclamation that the people were to make. In fact, this entire passage comes from Psalm 118 which is a passage that they would sing during the feasts. And, and sometimes the ascent, as the, the crowds began to build on the funnel that became the road to Jerusalem, as folks from all over Israel would come. And they would sing these songs, psalms, talking about what it was like to be in unity together as they approached the temple of Almighty God and what they were expecting. So blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a response that, some, that the people would have to a person that was designated as either the primary presenter of praise or the one to whom all the attention should be given. And they would say, blessed is he who is leading us in the right way. Blessed is he who has been designated as the one from God to take us to a place we can't go on our own. Blessed is he who comes in the name of almighty God. And then they would say, Hosanna in the highest, which means not only save now, but save to the uttermost. Save at the deepest levels and at the highest heights. At whatever level I need salvation, give it to me. But, the, but, but I'm not quite sure they knew what they were saying. Yeah, they were, they, were, they were 
singing the Bible, no question, or saying the Bible. But there's a whole lot more in Psalm 118 than just, Lord, help me. There's a passage in, the, in there that says the, the stone that was supposed to be the cornerstone of the entire foundation of his people, if you will, the temple, metaphorically. The stone that was the cornerstone, that stone the builders rejected. That's in the same passage. So it's kind of important to like read the Bible in its context. They only wanted what they wanted. They didn't want it all. Oh, we love the fact that God's going to provide for our needs, don't we? He's going to meet my knees and the birds of the air, look at them and look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of them. And the birds of the air, they don't gather into barns, nor do they, 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 they cultivate. But yet the Lord provides for them in ways that are just natural. Oh, God's going to provide for me if I seek first the kingdom. Yay! And that is true. But it's not all about me. Jesus also said, I want you to know, you're going to have tribulation in this world. It's coming. If they treated me bad, they're going to treat you bad if you follow me. We can't take just the blessings without the difficulty. We can't take the, the, the wonderful notes of prosperity of God's provision for us, whether it be by health, whether it be by soul, whether it be by natural provision, without understanding that this life is full of hardness. How we go through it is really important. And because these dear folks who would have been me if I was there, I don't fault the, the Jewish people for having myopia. They represent all of humanity. And they may, they may have been the best version of all of humanity and that God chose them, not because they were better than the rest of humanity, but if they were better afterwards, it's because God made them so by his own word. But the rest of humanity didn't have any foundation upon which to praise Christ. No foundation upon which to make a, a, a way that prepared the way. None. None. So what we see here is some real consternation of soul with respect to identification. Because some people want to blame the Jews here when actually it's blaming me. I would have done the exact same thing, if not worse. You are supposed to meet my need. Save me now from difficulty. Save me at the uttermost. I'm not just looking for you to take a throne. I'd like you to fill my bank account. I'd like you to make my, my, my grandmama healthy again. I'd like you to, to, to make sure my, my kid gets a really good education at Harvard, please. Get him into Yale. Okay, limited. Stanford will do. I'll take Duke. Do that. Save me at the uttermost. We begin to dictate the things for which, from which we need saving. And when he doesn't meet our needs, hmm. and that was the problem with the people of Israel during this day. Jesus did not meet all of their expectations. In fact, almost none of them because their expectations were wrong. Oh, he was going to save them, but not how they thought they needed to be saved. It's important that our praise and our attention be focused in the right way. That even when it's hard, we realize God is on the throne and he still deserves the kind of praise that we would give him if his, if his throne-like stature 
were to bless us like we wanted. In fact, a person of faith blesses God when it's going really bad because he realizes, he sees, she sees things that others don't, that love is still there, care is still there, provision is still there. They just haven't stayed on the road long enough to intersect with it yet. God is with you. He loves you. Praise him now. Praise him now. And then lastly, they questioned his position, his person. As he was coming in the city, the religious leaders began to say, who is this? Now, they knew who he was because Jesus had been in the temple many times. He had come down to all the feasts, tabernacles, Feast of Passover, which they were presently, and the Feast of Pentecost, three of them. These three feasts, all the Jews were required to come down and celebrate and remember their history and celebrate their heritage. So Jesus had been down many times. So it's not that they didn't recognize him personally. They were wondering, what is this that the people are doing in terms of elevating him to a place we have not yet? See, the people came and gave him a coronation. This was basically the moment where they were crowning him as their king. But the religious elite weren't a part of that. And so it's hard for the people to do it without the political leaders doing it at the same time. And they're saying, who is this? We understand him to be the son of Mary and the supposed son of Joseph. But he's not this to us. And my question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he a figment of your imagination that you have conjured up in order to meet your needs? Is there a caricature of God to you that is now disappointing you because he's not fulfilling that which you thought he should fulfill? He's not, he's not making your dreams come true. Or is he a good prophet, which is what they said here? And, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of elevated, I, I guess, from the skepticism of, of, of that he's nobody. He's a prophet. Is he somebody that can just speak to you and give benefit to you and inform you? Or is he God Almighty? Is he the one who can do all that you need done to help you become what you need to become? Is he the one who can provide for you in every way? Is he the one who can meet all of your needs and more than you know you need? Jesus is different than any other man who has ever lived. Indeed, he was human, but he was God. This is what makes him uniquely qualified to be our Savior. Taking on human flesh, he was able to go through everything through which we've been. But with a God-like nature, indeed God nature, he was able to go through it yet without having any issues with respect to disobedience. And that he came through it clean. He came through it perfect. And thus as a result of being perfect, they tried to kill him. But the only way somebody was worthy of death is if they had sinned. Now that didn't have anything to do with the Roman idea of being worthy of death. You could be worthy of death and still be right if you were somebody who committed crimes against the Roman law, which is what Jesus was proposed to have done. 
And so the Romans killed him. The Jews said, he's not what we hope him to be. And he's taking away the people away from our, 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 our influence and leadership. So we've got to do away with him. And they conjured up all kinds of lies as a result of, of Christ's life and influence. Conjured up lies saying, he's the one who needs to be, to be crucified for this. And so the Jews had the Romans began to compile reasons as to why he needed to die. But none of them were righteous because he had done nothing wrong. Therefore, they killed him. But as a result of Jesus not doing anything wrong, he could not stay dead. Thus, we have the resurrection, which meant what did he die of? He did not just die of, of, of nails in his hands and in his feet. He died as a result of your and my sin, which causes us death. And in doing so, he took our death so that we can now live forever. This is the benefit. This is our God who loves us like that. And before we ever begin to minimally call him one of neglect, accuse him of such, or blame him for things, remember he is the one who paid the greatest price in order for us to get right. Let us not be like the six-year-old who did not get what he wanted for Christmas, but has forgotten all the stuff that mom and dad have done for him in provision. And yet he continues to whine and complain because he didn't get his Batman figurine. Simply because we didn't get what we want is no reason to accuse God of neglect or wrongdoing. Every day of our life, we have been benefited by his goodness. He has provided for us in extraordinary ways and stopped stuff that should have come to you that did not. And you had no idea. So much he has taken on himself so that you did not have to bear the burden. This is our God. This is how good he is. Who is he to you? I beg you, receive him today and let him take your burden. No, it doesn't mean that you don't have to carry it. It simply means he helps you carry it. You carry it differently. Before it felt like a thousand pounds on your shoulders. Now it feels like five. Because he's pushing. He's doing more than just spotting. He is lifting the entire thing for you with your hands on it. That's who our God is. And he lives evermore to help you and strengthen you and to make your life better, better. A different version of good than what you ever had in mind. The best version of good. For the first time in your life, you'll have the privilege of doing what he created you to do, being who he created you to be. Living how he created you to live. Would you pray with me? And everybody, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do this. I want everybody to pray with me. And I want us all to ask God to help us to pave the way for his entrance into our lives in a greater way and for his entrance into our community. Let this Palm Sunday be that which allows Christ to come in the way he wants to. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I love you. 
I thank you for sending your son to die for me. I choose to let my life be an on-ramp for his will. Do what you want in me and do what you want through me. Help me to be a pathway that is unencumbered and allows you access to other people. Thank you for being my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, if you have never given your heart to Christ, or maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be, and you want to make a change today, pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that latter prayer, there's a place down there in the chat that allows you to acknowledge that you made a prayer of salvation today. Uh, somebody else will come up afterwards and, and share with you how to do that. But, but please, follow the prompts. All we want to do is help you be successful in the decision that you've made. Church, we love you. We appreciate the privilege of being able to serve you like this. And I want you to know something. We're going to make it through this. And we're going to make it through this with the protection of Almighty God and seeing his provision come through us for everybody else. Stay strong. Trust him. Pray. Get in your Bible every day. And let's come out of this thing better than when we came in. Love you much. You're the best.